0: of once you get into black history you know I'm a white guy from canada you know what the heck is that all about <laughs> is is the uh, uh the, the thought bubble that's above everybody's head when i speak on the topic or even when they read my books and they meet me personally is that uh uh it's just that uh, i i i found that um i was around a lot of people who were very powerful very wealthy individuals and uh and so when you put an actual letter, a handwritten letter by Frederick Douglass in their hands. Here's a guy that can uh, play golf all day in uh, West Palm, uh, fly down his private jet, fly home, have dinner that evening somewhere on the East Coast, uh, up in New England, let's say. Whatever pops in the mind can have due experience. But when you put a handwritten letter of Frederick Douglass in their hand, all of a sudden you see the whole body language change and there's a humility that emerges, and it's just a feeling like I'm in the presence of of greatness with this letter, and uh, that this man actually touched and actually wrote, and the content of the letter is king, and and it speaks to the the heart of that person. Now, all of a sudden, this person now becomes uh, more open to be teachable, uh, to learn about history, and it might be a Caucasian that has never thought about you know some of the issues that someone of of uh, African descent may be dealing with here in America or anywhere else in the world, and so um, it becomes a segue, a gateway, if you will, and so that's one of the main reasons I went into uh, uh, collecting, is that it's transcendent. I could be with a group of a thousand middle school kids in a, in a high school auditorium, and when I bring out 30 pieces or 40 pieces on a table, and I start telling stories. I lift a piece and I tell a story. Uh, once again, now, that whole place goes so quiet, you can hear a pin drop. And I've had educators tell me later that, uh, you know, I've been in education for 25 years, but I've never seen kids this quiet, and th- this, this uh, uh, captured by the information that you're, you're communicating. So those are the kind of things in the Rosetta Stone Project you know, t- taking this ancient artifact and turning it into a modern metaphor for problem solving. So now it becomes a, a, a kind of a wisdom lesson, if you will. And I've done this with uh, a group in Iceland one time, uh, WACRA, the World Airline Customer Relations Association. We did a, whole, I did a whole thing for two hours on the Rosetta Stone. First the history, and then showing how the, the iteration process, the problem sol- pro- solving process, Occurred over 23 years, with people with big egos, people who could not speak the same language, no computers, with a language that they uh, hieroglyphics. You know, is it uh, right to left or left to right? Is it is is it alphabetic? Is it phonetic? And uh, and so uh, how they worked this out is astonishing. So then to be able to say, okay. If you think you've been spending three weeks on a, on a problem-solving, you're trying to, trying to develop your entrepreneurial pursuit or your business or dealing with a, a difficult uh, co-worker or something like that, just think of 23 years. Think of the perseverance. Think of, of the, the focus of that individual, of those individuals that were involved in some way. So, uh, you know, no team is perfect. And and so there's hope for my team then, let's say, you know, for someone in, in a corporate America or a government agency type situation. Or over there, there's someone, there's Sister Sandpaper, there's Brother Hammer, there's, there's all kinds of problem situations. But uh, if they could do that in an international scope, uh, perhaps we can do it. We can solve problems uh, without everybody being hunky-dory and giving each other back rubs and singing Kumbaya. So you know, there's a lot of things that, uh, that I get into, but they're very purposeful. And then, of course, the Rosetta Stone, uh, it's from Egypt, Egypt's in Africa. Uh, I'm very interested in Af- African-American history and African history. And uh, entrepreneurship, when you think of the way people of African descent have, have gone against the um, have dealt with the systematic racism in our country, And there's no way, there's no way to exaggerate when talking about the horrific nature of of the slave trade, of slavery, of lynching, of Jim Crow, of black code laws, and all these different things. There's no way to exaggerate. And still to have those, uh, those blades of grass coming through the concrete and developing meadows, the stories that come out of that, that's the entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, all of us have concrete on the inside, but when you think of the systemic nature with religion and politics and the the, the legal system and law officers and uh, next door neighbors and, and the, the business community, all conspiring together, colluding together, if you will, to keep a race down and still people coming up and becoming successful. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 it's hard, hard to even come up with words for that. So that's,
1: i mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. We've got a great one in store for you. In case you happen to miss the last episode, here's a quick snippet, and then we will get on to the show.
0: An expert might cook. Everyone says I should write a book, but do you see what I mean? It's very different. There's nothing wrong with the second one, by the way. I'm not judging anybody's motives or objectives or anything else. However, until you have complete clarity about how that is going to work for you, how that's going to fit in and how it's going to drive you to do it, how it's going to motivate you and how you can use it. you could end up, I say you you know anybody could end up with a book that's um, you know not quite right, not quite passionate enough, not quite representative of, of your best stuff. Uh, it could take too long because you could be fighting with yourself, or your heart might not be in it. Uh, I, I'm from Alberta, Canada, and um, my my whole life I've I've kind of been shot out of a cannon uh, with uh, not a whole lot of. Uh, there's folks that would would help me, but I, I was I was kind of a lone ranger early on in my younger years. But um, I left home when I was 17. to started hitchhiking all around North America. You know, long-haired hippie, dope-smoking fool, and and uh, ended up. Uh, having a conversion experience in 1972, uh, September 10th, and my whole life just turned around and uh, I signed up for Bible school the very next day, ended up uh, moving to from Maine to Maryland and uh, became chaplain for the Washington Bullets uh, at the time called the Bullets, now the Wizards, one of the first chaplains in the history of the NBA uh, and uh, that kind of uh, uh, launched me in a whole nother direction. So it was a, a really good good uh, experience. And then of course, people wanted to have me come and speak. I would speak at different events. And uh, then in some events, there'd be a, a CEO of a company or an HR manager of a company. And they'd say, hey, can you come and do some training for us? So for the last 25 plus years, I've been traveling around the world uh, talking about, uh, I guess the brand for my company is Seven Words, dealing with people who drive you crazy. And so that's what I've been uh, doing. My wife and I, Shirley, we, uh, sh- we have four children and their age is uh, 33 to, well, the oldest will be 40 in just a short while. So we're empty nesters and I don't want to oversell this, but it is a blast. We love being <laughs> empty nesters and just watching each one of our children find their way in the world.
1: That's very, that's very interesting that there's definitely a lot to that, to that story. Uh, so, so tell me more. You mentioned really that things sort of took a different turn uh, after you became the chaplain there and you started to speak. What what kinds of things did you find yourself being asked to speak on or what, what did you find yourself speaking on and, and tell us more about sort of how that, how that developed?
0: Well, it was, um, I guess it was a type of situation where there'd be a men's breakfast. And uh, so you know, I'd, I'd be talking about uh, all the different aspects of uh, working with professional athletes. And I developed kind of a collection of items from my uh, time with the, the Bullets. And so I'd bring some things for the back table and people had questions about some players or, you know, just what it was like to be at the NBA level. And so that that's kind of the way it started that way.
1: Okay, okay, so just finding then uh, being asked to speak on on different things at different times, and now during this time in terms of the entrepreneurial focus, so you were a chaplain and then you started to to be doing some more speaking so where where did you have do you feel as if you had an entrepreneurial focus sort of before you stepped into that role as chaplain? it developed how did how did that come to be where Where did that sort of start? Can you pinpoint that and tell us about that?
0: Yes. Uh, what happened is that I was uh, <clears throat> I, I was a, in Baltimore area, and um, a friend of mine, uh, Bill Alexon, was chaplain for the Celtics, and he was uh, probably one or, one of the first two chaplains in the history of the NBA. And uh, Kevin Porter, Elvin Hayes came out to a pregame meeting in Boston, and what happened is that um, at the end of the chapel meeting. They said to my friend, they said, you know, we'd, we'd like to have uh, this in, in DC. Do you know of anybody who can, uh, uh, can, can, can help us, can be the chaplain for the team. And uh, you know, Bill says, I, I know a guy. <laughs> and so what happened is that we uh, was about three weeks later, uh, had breakfast with, or lunch, I'm sorry, with uh, Kevin Porter. Now kind of backdrop here, I, I grew up in Alberta, Canada, and uh, I was never interested in basketball. I was always an ice hockey player, living in a small town with nine ice hockey rings, 2,000 people, nine ice hockey rings. Just imagine, you know, playing ice hockey from late October till early April every year. And so uh, that probably served me well because uh, I didn't know really any, any players. Uh, I'd heard of some, but uh, I was not wowed by them. And so... Uh, uh, what happened is I ended up meeting with the general manager, Bob Ferry, and we connected. And he said, uh, he says, well, he says, I can't I have nothing to say about this other than the players. If they want you, then I'll I'll be, I'll be watching you. <laughs> and I found out much later that he actually put his ear up to the, the door and um, a number of times was listening to what I was saying. And I, I when I met, uh, I was on a flight with him. Uh, oh my goodness, probably about, uh, seven, eight years ago, down to Dallas, and we were talking, and I asked him, I said, what, what were you thinking? Uh, Here's what I was thinking, what were you thinking? And he said, well, actually, I was afraid of you. <laughs> I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, because um, you uh, were messing with the guy's minds an hour before tip-off, and I didn't want you saying weird stuff that would impact Uh, the team chemistry negatively. So from an entrepreneurial standpoint, to get back to your original question, it was a, uh, uh, I had no mentor. Uh, I was uh, at least the second or third chaplain in the history of the NBA. Uh, They didn't know how to handle me. I didn't know how to handle them. And so probably about 90% of it was being confident so, because if if you showed I didn't have any tickets, uh, I, you know the it was just they didn't know what to do. You know, do you give season passes to this guy? Do you give an all access background? Uh, you know, pass for the chaplain? Who is a chaplain? What what is he doing? And so it was kind of a weird situation that that emerged early early on. But uh, just by being confident, by being consistent, and uh, and also uh, one of the main things is is letting the players know that that uh they could uh, they could have confidence in me because their position in life attracts a lot of insincere people. And so by uh being a tight um kind of a bear trap, you know that anything they told me I was not going to run to the Washington post and it was not going to appear next Tuesday in the sports section. And, and of course th- there's some things that I haven't even told my wife that I will I will go to my grave with because that's just the way I operate. Uh so you know, entrepreneurially, it was uh, learning how to read the players, uh, uh, how to read the general manager, the coach, the uh, the whole team, the staff around them, and then trying to make some sense of of uh, uh, you know. It's not about making money. I was volunteering my time, so uh, but it still was an entrepreneurial journey, no question about it.
1: Okay, so that that's kind of interesting. So that's an interesting distinction. So. Uh, with the, you know, with, with entrepreneurship, then, uh, almost sort of developing it on the go and there's not necessarily set rules that have been put there for you, but almost like making the distinction that when you're stepping out entrepreneurially, you're really kind of needing to create everything. And it sounds like you're highlighting the confidence that you would need to be able to do that. And I guess to create what you're moving forward with, is that about, is that in the, in, in the ballpark there?
0: Yes, um, th- yes. there's a, um, a, a pub in uh, Ireland, Southern Ireland, right on the uh, beautiful coast, and there's a, there's a big sign up uh, that says a beautiful view, fog permitting, <laughs> and uh, that's what uh, a lot of entrepreneurship is about, is um, it, there's a lot of fog, uh, there's a lot of grind, and I, I, you know, I think one of the worst things you can say to an entrepreneur is just do what you love doing because um, a a lot of entrepreneurship is doing what you hate doing until you can bring it to the place you pay someone to do what you hate doing. For instance, I, I absolutely hate marketing myself. I hate calling up and and saying, Hey, I'm the best speaker uh, this side of the Mississippi and I can do X, Y, and Z. I hate that part of it. Uh, But I have to do some of that to uh, you know, in terms of making sure my search engine optimization is up and, and that uh, when someone calls that, that I'm confident that I can do a good job for them. And then and know my limits. If, uh, it's, it's an area that uh, I'm not good at to say I'm not good at that, but I know someone who is. And I think that builds the confidence in them and the integrity over the, over time. So uh, with working with athletes, uh, I was doing something that uh, hardly anybody had done in, in the history of the, of the league. So uh, you know i was charting new territory and uh, and then helped to uh, bring other people into the league uh, helped to create a a code of conduct and uh, you know those types of things uh it's like creation you know creation in the, in the book of genesis starts out with chaos and then uh, god brings order to it and so what appears to be you know what are we doing here what are we doing there what how do we do this um All of that is there and you kind of work through that and then uh, you begin to codify and to bring a process to it, something that makes sense, something that's purposeful um, and and that actually is helping other people. And it's things like never ask for money, uh, never be in a spot where you're uh, trying to use your position to gain something for yourself. It's always about others and uh and and doing a win for them adding value and that's when you start thinking about that in terms of any entrepreneurial pursuit if someone is going after just making money then um it's it's very elusive but if they're there to add value i mean that's that's a circle you can complete you know what what's what what are your needs here's what i can do for you and i don't mean be stupid uh you got to have contracts a lawyer you got you got to do all the things that will benefit you but Uh, down the long haul, but it's, uh, I live life less transactional and more missional.
1: So with that, I guess if you were looking at somebody going from having these ideas and then trying to branch out to say, to write, uh, to speak, to put together events, to put on exhibits, uh, you know, we could probably have a long conversation about what you're doing with the Rosetta Stone. That's really kind of fascinating. I thought a couple of people about that before uh, as we were preparing for this, and uh, as we talked more about it, it is more and more interesting. Uh, so, so yeah. So, how how have you sort of expanded to be able to systemize the, the approach to all these things to be able to grow, uh, to be able to add value? Can you speak a little more to to that?
0: Great question. Uh- First of all, there's no more than, than one to two degrees of separation between any two things I do. Uh, so I'm very careful. Uh, what I did uh, quite a number of years ago is I, I figured that every, uh, I've wor- I'd worked with a, a number of organizations on developing a mission, uh, vision, core values, code of conduct. You know, the mission and vision are what you do. The The core values, code of conduct is how you do the what. and uh, And so, uh, I figured, well, why not do that personally for the for the, kind of, kind of the Joel Freeman Corporation, if you will? And so I, I went through the brain damage of, of creating this uh, a mission, a life mission and vision core values code of conduct for myself. And, um, and then what has happened is I have turned down some incredible opportunities because it has not fit through the grid of my uh, mission and vis- vision core values code of conduct. And so um, uh, that, that has been very helpful to me. And then secondly, uh, for instance, writing books, what I have done is I have, have uh, I sat down one time and began to make an inventory of where my counsel was in demand. And uh, I, began, I began to find out very quickly that, uh, you know, that for instance, people, uh, because I was a counselor, my PhD is in psychology, that people had a lot of questions about um, uh, suffering and pain, and a lot of books had been written about it. So I ended up writing a book uh, about 28 years ago called God is not fair, subtitled com- making, uh, coming to terms with life's raw deals. And uh, that became like a time management tool so that when people uh, had pain and suffering, because there's a lot of pain, around. We all have it. You know, there's a there's a drama pain behind it, every pair of eyes. And so uh then it became something where I could have someone read the book first and then we could talk. And so in a sense it was kind of like my crap detector to see if someone was serious about if they if they were just uh jerking my chain or were uh wasting my time. Not that anybody ever ever sets out to do that but sometimes just out of curiosity, sometimes they end up doing that. So this is my way of saying, Hey, read the book first. And then let's talk about, uh, let's drill down, uh, because some of the principles I would share with you are in this book. And so it it can save us maybe an hour and a half of time and then drill down to exactly what uh, your specific needs are. And then I wrote a book, um, about, um, I figured most pain when people are in pain, they then uh, begin to deal with their, um, uh, their conscience. They, they start looking for ways to medicate that pain, whether it's through sexual addiction or uh, drug or alcohol addiction or just uh, workaholism or whatever it might be. So I end up writing a book called um, uh, Living With Your Conscience Without Going Crazy so that I could take people from point A, dealing with their pain, and then let's peel the layers back and let's talk about uh, how we try to medicate that pain Then the third book in that trilogy was uh, called Kingdom Zoology, dealing with the wolves, serpents, and swine in your life. Because most of our pain comes from people and some well-intentioned people. And so uh, what happened is then then, uh, I wrote, uh, I had that to take people from point A to point B to point C. Then the book I wrote about entrepreneurship, it's called, uh, If Nobody Loves You, Create the Demand. (laughs) And uh, the subtitle, I, I, I have it right here actually, Because I figured that's what we're going to talk about is all about um, creating the demand and and just the 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 whole idea of taking an idea to the marketplace and and then it's it's backed up with a a workbook that uh, is dealing specifically uh, with churches starting entrepreneur clubs for ten months worth of material and 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 a and a leader's guide and and the reason I bring that I show that is because. Uh, I get so many calls from people, you know, I've got an idea, I've got an invention, I've got a, uh, you know, where do I take this? I've got a book I want to write. So I wrote this once again as a time management tool. And so, uh, and then the other projects that I have, uh, I find that for instance, the Black History Collection, uh, what happened is that um, I had a lot of, once you you get into black history, you know, I'm a white guy from Canada, you know, what the heck is that all about? Is is the, uh, uh, the the thought bubble that's above everybody's head when I speak on the topic, or even when they read my books and they meet me personally, is that uh, uh, it's just that uh, I, I I found that um, I was around a lot of people who were very powerful, very wealthy individuals, and uh, and so it, when you put an actual letter, a handwritten letter by Frederick Douglass in their hands, I mean here here's a guy that can. Uh, play golf all day in uh, West Palm, on his pri- and fly down his private jet, fly home, have dinner that evening somewhere on the East Coast, uh, up in New England, let's say. Whatever pops in the mind can have due experience. But when you put a handwritten letter of Frederick Douglass in their hand, all of a sudden you see the whole body language change, and there's a humility that emerges, and it's just a feeling like I'm in the presence of, of greatness with this letter. And uh, that this man actually touched and actually wrote and the content of the letter is King. And, and it speaks to the, the heart of that person. Now, all of a sudden this person now becomes uh, more open to be teachable, uh, to learn about history. And it might be a Caucasian. That has never thought about, um, you know, some of the issues that someone of, of uh, African descent may be dealing with here in America or anywhere else in the world. And so, um, it becomes a segue, a gateway, if you will. And so that's one of the main reasons I went into uh, uh, collecting is that it's transcendent. I could be with a group of a thousand middle school kids in a, in a high school auditorium. and When I bring out 30 pieces or 40 pieces on a table and I start telling stories, I lift a piece and I tell a story. Uh, once again, that whole place goes so quiet, you can hear a pin drop. And I've had educators tell me later that, uh, you know, I've been education for 25 years. And I've never seen kids this quiet and this, this uh, uh, captured by the information that you're, you're communicating. So those are the kind of things in the Rosetta Stone Project, you know, t- taking this ancient artifact and turning it into a modern metaphor for problem solving. So now it becomes a, a, a kind of a wisdom lesson, if you will and I've done this with uh, a group in Iceland one time, uh, WACRA, the World Airline Customer Relations Association. We did a, whole, I did a whole thing for two hours on the Rosetta Stone. First the history, and then showing how the, the iteration process, the problem solving process occurred over 23 years with people with big egos, people who could not speak the same language, no computers, with a language that they, uh, hieroglyphics, you know, is it uh, right to left or left to right? Is it, is it, is it alphabetic? Is it phonetic? And, uh, and so uh, how they work this out is astonishing. So then to be able to say, okay, if you think you've been spending three weeks on a, on a problem solving, you're trying to trying to develop your entrepreneurial pursuit or your business or dealing with a, a difficult uh, co-worker or something like that, just think of 23 years. Think of the perseverance. Think of, of the, the focus of that individual, of those individuals that were involved in some way. So, uh, you know, no team is perfect. And and so there's hope for my team then, let's say, you know, for someone in, in a corporate America or a government agency type situation. Or over there, there's someone, there's Sister Sandpaper, there's Brother Hammer, there's, <laughs> there's all kinds of problem situations. But uh, if they could do that, in an international scope, uh, perhaps we can do it. We can solve problems uh, without everybody being hunky-dory and giving each other back rubs and singing Kumbaya. So, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, that I get into, but they're very purposeful. And then of course the Rosetta Stone, uh, it's from Egypt, Egypt's in Africa. Uh, I'm very interested in Af- African American history and African history and uh, entrepreneurship. When you think of the way people of African descent have have gone against the, um, have dealt with the systematic racism in our country. And there's no way, there's no way to exaggerate. We're talking about the horrific nature of, of the slave trade, of slavery, of lynching, of Jim Crow, of black code laws, and all these different things. There's no way to exaggerate. And still to have those, uh, those blades of grass coming through the concrete and developing meadows. The stories that come out of that, that's the entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, all of us have concrete on the inside, but when you think of the systemic nature with religion and politics and the the legal system and law officers and uh, next door neighbors and, and the, the business community, all conspiring together, colluding together, if you will, to keep a race down and still people coming up and becoming successful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I i it's hard hard to even come up with words for that, so that's the entrepreneurial spirit that really uh captures and, and uh activates something inside of me
1: that that's phenomenal I, I i definitely feel as if it's appropriate to share here too i when I was researching more you know f- to get ready for today uh so c- you know uh congratulations in terms of the award that you have for the you know which is very appropriate as we have martin luther king uh, day coming up here in a couple of days. So the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. We Share the Dream Award. I saw that uh, that you had uh, been awarded that. And uh, so congratulations, you know, on, on that. I thought that was very interesting. Uh,
0: Thank you very much, Errol.
1: One of the things here, really speaking about this, and it still seems to, what I was thinking about here was the mission and how you stressed the mission before talking about this. And I think you really went through a great um, story to kind of go through and many examples still to highlight the mission and how important that mission is and it's almost uh, focus here is very much entrepreneurial one of the things I think I've really been drawn to this concept and why I'm so focused there is that all of the challenges that people face as an entrepreneur I mean failure is just part of it I mean that's just something that happens every day and there's different levels of it there's different degrees of it and from what I understand, what separates one person from being able to achieve whatever it is from the other person, uh, it's, it's really their, everything that's underneath their whole approach to, to, to what they're doing as an entrepreneur. So that mission and that foundation, what's what seems to be building them up, it seems to me as if that's the, the core. Somebody's going to find themselves failing and one person is going to get up and another is not. What is it that makes that other person get up? Uh, and, uh, ultimately it sounds like with your focus, with the mission is ultimately if there's all this entrepreneurial pursuit and people are trying to achieve and they're, they're going to fail that eventually if you can help them underneath to build a stronger foundation, then they're more likely to be able to get up or more people can learn. Is that kind of in the realm of the right sort of conversation for part of your mission? I mean, is that, is, is that, what would you say about that or what thoughts do you have on that?
0: Well, I think that uh, uh, people are wired differently. We all have different emotional pain thresholds. There's different seasons of life. Uh, You know, there's, um, you know, when you're raising small kids, you know, I struggled and wrestled with uh, how to uh, spend more time with the kids and still try to chew gum, change the bicycle tire, keep riding the bike, (laughs) keep things moving. I mean, we we all, all have different seasons in life. And so I think it's important to, to recognize the season, uh, to see what we can do to uh, ad- address the entrepreneurial aspects, but I think everybody uh, uh, part of it is personality. You know, some people have a uh, uh, more of an, an analytical personality, and uh, and tremendous gifting, uh, very go very deep in some area, but sometimes it's hard to get moving because uh, they're asking the same question eight different ways, and uh, might analyze to. Uh, paralysis you know uh, the analysis of paralysis as they say and then you have some people that are uh, that's 10 miles deep and uh, three inches wide and some are 10 miles wide and three inches deep and so they like skipping stones off the, the the surface of a pond but they never go deep and so it's important I think um, you know if, if someone is going to uh, uh, want to achieve in some areas to get the education as much as possible and uh, and I know there's it's uh, you know, some people have $110,000 of uh, education debt, and and are, are uh, still can't get a job, even hardly washing dishes. So uh, that all is is something that uh, is very, very, uh, uh, very intriguing to me of how to go through this. And I know some people, they just, um, you know, I personally, I'd much rather hire someone with experience than someone with education, uh, because then I have something that's measurable. Uh, Because a lot of people with with education have never written a book, have never, you know, never really accomplished anything. And and the only thing they can do is go back to education to teach other people (laughs) to do something that maybe they've never done themselves. So I'd much rather have uh, someone who has gotten dirt under their fingernails and and has has, uh, gotten, uh, you know, umpteen bloody noses, uh, metaphorically speaking, in the process has has stumbled and failed and has learned every single time and has come back fighting. There's something about that. That's attractive to me. It's the passion, not the failure, but the passion to keep moving and mo- moving forward. I, I, you can't teach that to people and uh, there's no book that can do it. There's no seminar. There's no motivational speaker that can do it. Uh, it has to come from within. And so um, uh, you know, it's a work ethic and all these things. So I think it's it's important, uh, you know. Some we we need people to work for others, you know. And some people are going to come up with the ideas that will employ, uh, you know, sometimes millions of people, sometimes thousands, sometimes a hundred, sometimes one or two. Uh, sometimes it's just independent contractors. That's how I built my business. Is I build it all around independent contractors. Only get paid for what they do, rather than having a uh, hundred employees and times three, because now you have, let's say, three members per family. You have to be concerned about all that. It's, it's just the whole idea of of uh, uh, people figuring things out. And and if the pain outweighs the pleasure, uh, then they're going to read the books. They're going to get the inf- inspiration. They're, they're going to move themselves uh, to move to that level. I can't do that for them. And so, uh, and that's, it's very, very painful. And sometimes it's addressing the pain inside. I guess some people just aren't successful because they fear it or they uh, are, are going to, you know, someone said something to them, uh, you're never going to be successful. And that's some, that little tape plays in their head all the time. And uh, sometimes, you know, what does it take to, un, uh, to to just cut through that tape and and uh, to, to bring some new messaging in their heads? And we all have struggled with that. So no one is unique in all that. No one is special. No one grows up with a silver spoon. In fact, um, you know, when, when astronauts go up into the atmosphere, they have to continue doing exercises because if they don't have some type of resistance, uh, their muscles atrophy. And so someone who's grown up with a silver spoon in their mouth, everything handed to them, uh, you know, <laughs> like holding the door open for the, when they go to the bathroom and shutting it for them and, and doing all these different things for them. Uh, it just, uh, many times they can, they stumble and fall because they can't, uh, they haven't had resistance. So it's it's like um, uh, the book, uh, the, the, uh, the War of Art, uh, I think is an incredible book to read because the author there, uh, Steve, I can't remember his last name right now, but he uh, he talks about resistance against art and resistance against writing, resistance against entrepreneurship, and how we have to fight against that resistance and, and, and really draw blood against it and, and, uh, and push our way through it. And, and that's, I think, part of, of uh, the important journey that we all have
1: in the process of sort of building out your business. So a couple of things that I see that you had mentioned that were, you know, keys to innovation and creativity. And I think if we're talking about entrepreneurship, innovation and being creative with what you're doing is is part of that, it's, it's integral. So one thing is that you said is that the type of person that you are, you may, you actually kind of just answered this, but the type of person that you are can have an impact on uh, really how innovative and how creative that you are. So anything that you would share that would help somebody to understand how to perhaps know themselves better, of how they can approach innovation and creativity depending on what type of person they are?
0: Well, I think there's uh, there are instruments out there, the Enneagram, DISC, and some other, um, the BFI, Big Five Inventory. Uh, there's some personality profiles that I think can help a person understand their strengths and to celebrate their strengths, uh, to build on their strengths. But then also to see what the areas of weaknesses are and uh, the vulnerabilities. The difference between weakness and a vulnerability is that a, uh, a vulnerability is like dogs barking in the backyard with muddy paws. Uh, and it's, it's a vulnerability if I let my guard down. If I open the door, they're gonna come in and make a mess. But a weakness is I let my guard down and the, uh, the dogs come in and make a mess. So uh, it's current, and it's something that I, I've let my guard, and it's and, and it's there. So we all have dogs barking in the backyard. We all have vulnerabilities. Can make cowards of us all, just as uh, uh, Vince Lombardi once famously said to his players, and that's that's why he he wanted to to have the um, uh, the players in by bed into bed by 10 o'clock at night, because he didn't want them tired for the next day. And then um, uh, sometimes it's a trifecta of punches, of things that happen that can, can bring us down. Uh, sometimes it's just hubris. And in our youthfulness, sometimes we say, well, I, I, you know, no, no, no one's gonna tell me what to do. And uh, you know, I find that the older, and uh, it's, it's, it's what we learn after we think we know it all that really counts. And uh, so having that teachable spirit, I think is, is an important component. But uh, when it comes to um, innovation, uh, creativity, entrepreneurial thinking, ideas—you know, ideas are dime a dozen. And most everybody has said, you know, I thought of that a year ago, or two years ago, or twenty years ago, and now someone else has has uh, taken that idea uh, that maybe we never articulated, but someone else had that idea and they actually did something with it. So I I applaud someone to be in terms of being imaginable and having an idea. But create true creativity is developing a process to take that idea to the marketplace, uh, whatever that might be. It might be a, um, a good, some goods or it might be a service uh, that one might be able to afford to other people. But it's, it's putting hands and feet to that idea. And that's a process. And it's, it's a painful process. It's a boring process. It's a dull process. But it is a process. And, uh, and that's what I think is important. Uh, for instance, if someone wants to speak, be a professional speaker and get on stage, and you come up to them and you say, um, you know, I, uh, would you like to have someone uh, make calls for you? You know, and they say, oh, yes, I, I just want to speak. Well, I'll tell you, uh, it's not going to happen that way. I want to slap somebody when, when they they say, you know, I want to I want to get someone to make all my calls for me to to get me on stage. Because I'll tell you what, uh, there's there's people out there that will say they'll do it but they will basically take, they want to check your social media. They want to see uh, how many people are around you and how many, how many uh, people are following you. And then they'll say, okay, I will leverage what you already have in place in order to get you on stage. And, uh, but really it comes down to just eating on the phone, doing the daily grind and working smart at it, having a good website and having um uh, you know, being a person that, that your, your cover letter, your, your basic letter that you're sending out to people is smart. It's captivating and being on, on speaker platforms, but at the same time working it every single day and then the word of mouth spreads. And then later, uh, of course you can pay people to do what you hated doing. Uh, you're in that position to do that. So, uh, you know, it's. I think it's. It's important to realize the process it takes and the dullness of it all, and resisting all the stuff that uh, pushing against, so that uh, we build muscles and uh, and we build the uh, uh, the perseverance that I think is so important in anything that we do.
1: Nominal. Uh, one thing I saw that was interesting as well is that you made a, a mention uh, here that it's important to know what your anchor is. I think you gave an example of almost a a kite and you have uh, in the wind, you have the, you know, I don't know what you call it, but you have the kite up in the sky and the wind is blowing against it. And there's a string that's pulling you down and you're you're down there and it's, what is your your anchor? Can you tell us more about that concept and what what you mean by that?
0: Yes, yes, Um, the kite is a metaphor for uh, wanting to fly high, and, and most entrepreneurs want to do that. They want to, you know, to be involved in some things that are, are in some t- cases heady and uh, those types of things. Uh, but uh, what happens is that the, the wind is a metaphor for the problems that you're solving, because if you're not solving problems, you're not in business. Uh, that's what business is all about. That's what entrepreneurship is all about, identifying a problem and developing a solution, a practical solution. And then uh, developing some proprietary nature to that practical solution so that someone can't come along and rip you off and, and do the same thing, uh, you know, and come and come against uh, in competition against you. And if they do that, then uh, you just have to build a team that, that does it better, you know, than they do and, uh, and market that and all the rest. But then the string is uh, the connection to groundedness. And you, it's all, always important to have at least one person in our life that grounds us uh, because entrepreneurs tend to be filled with uh, you know, all kinds of uh, rainbows and, and uh, clouds, bursts of, of ideas and, and everything else. And uh, it just, it, you'd have to have someone legal that's grounding you, uh, someone who brings ethics to bear that because uh, sometimes when someone wants to just go right up to the edge and then toss a foot over the edge of, of legality or ethics, uh, someone is there saying, you know, you might not want to do that, because if you continue to do that, it's going to, it's going to bite you down the road. And plus, it's just not the right way to do go about it. To It's not a quick, it's a quick fix. You might think it's a quick fix, but the long-term addictive cycle to that, it's going to, going to harm you. So people that we invite into our lives, and I think it's important to invite people in our lives. You know, I, I look at it this way, that you know, I, if I if I look, uh, you know, I'm I maybe um, I would say I have maybe 85 degrees that I can see, and uh, or 80 degrees or something like that, and I add another 35 degrees on either side. That's 80 plus 35 plus 35. That's what 150 degrees. It really begs the question: Who have I invited to my life, uh, both personally and professionally, to 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 look at the uh, 210 degrees it's being behind me, my blind spots that I can't see, and uh, some people don't want to see them, but the blind spots that afflict successful people are, are uh, uh, there's a number of them, and uh, that self-awareness is not always there. In fact, a study was done by a woman by the name of Dr. Tasha Urich, uh, published recently in the Harvard Business Review, and uh, she said that the, the higher one gets, and she, she, it was a scientific uh, review that she did, with over 5,000 successful business people. And she found that the higher one gets, the less self-aware they are. And that when it's someone who thinks, believes that they're self-aware internally, may not be, it may not translate into self-awareness externally or vice versa. And so it's important to have people that can help to mold our understanding of self-awareness and to, uh, so that we uh, aren't people who, uh, learn by mistakes, even though that's probably the way it is for most people. But if we can listen and learn and be aware of what's happening, I think it uh, it gives us a much better uh, approach to life.
1: Uh, no, very good. Well, Joe, thank you so much for everything you've shared with us today. Uh, in terms of for people connecting with you, I know that uh, here, obviously, with the, the book on entrepreneurship, uh, again, uh, that is where. Where is that book uh, particularly? Where, where is it available?
0: Well, if someone comes to my website, pr- probably the easiest way to go about this is uh, the main website is uh, for my speaking is joelspeaksrealgood.com. dot and uh, it's Joel Speaks plural. joelspeaksrealgood.com. dot com. J O E L is my name. Is how to spell my name. And then on there uh, near the bottom, there's there's ways to connect with my online store and uh, ways to connect, you know, to call me directly and uh, to talk about things. And uh, I'd be very happy to connect with anyone who wants to connect. And, um, you know, if you want to talk about an idea, read the book first (laughs) and uh, and then I'll be very happy to drill down with you. I love spending time with people one on one.
1: Right, great, and you mentioned too a workbook that goes with and along that book. Is that specifically just something that would be good to go along with the book? Is that more for facilitating within groups?
0: Yeah, I, I just, uh, this, this, the workbook, the, the book is for a personal use. And then the, uh, the workbook uh, connects the two together it can still be for personal group use or group discussion. And, uh, and the reason what I did for this is that I, I wanted to have um, this become something that, like churches, you know, this is my general market book, and this is for churches. Uh, it's kind of like a blade that fits into a razor, so to speak. And so that's the purple and then the red cover. And so, um, and then there's a, there's a leader's guide at the bottom, you know, in the back that helps to run a 90-minute meeting. Uh, because entrepreneurs typically have an attention span of about 13 seconds, <laughs> and so how to run a a, a meeting where people sometimes are co- coming with a, a need uh, to a meeting, and other times they can help other people, uh, they, they have something to offer. And then what I did also is I I developed a a magazine. You probably heard of the Shepherd's Guide. Uh, huh? I came up with that idea about 40 years ago, and now it's all around North America. This is kind of a 2.0. And this is how a person can, how an entrepreneur club can use this project of, of magazines, of a magazine for churches, to be able to, uh, to build uh, a, a whole approach to, to dealing with objections and rejection. Because the way I look at it is that those are the two main enemies that uh, when, whatever you're doing, it's objection. Oh, you're too young. I, I, I know I can get it cheaper. I, I, you know, all those different objections that people throw at us and it's learning how to navigate those objections and coming with uh, very clever, but uh, genuine re- responses to those objections and, and working through it many times just developing a website. You learn how, the who, what, why, when, here, where, how a question, how to respond to those questions. And then also the rejection and that's personal where someone says something personal or or they just don't want to buy uh, for whatever reason. And then you just kind of take it personally and say, well, it's because maybe I'm not educator. Maybe I'm too tall, too short, too fat, too skinny, too this, too young, too old. You know, all those, that that stuff, that concrete inside that just weighs in on us. And so this becomes like a laboratory. Uh, You know, it's enough to have the didactic, the teaching, the information, but then to have a project and then to use the funds from that uh, to actually provide job opportunities for people. Uh, This can be done uh, separately or or just uh, as a group. And then then maybe even to fund some projects, some meaningful projects. So that's the kind of stuff that I like to do uh, that's not just coming together to meet, but now have something whereby we can do a project that can actually help people and learn at the same time and use that uh, after after some people come back their Tuesday night meeting all week, they've been uh, getting beat up, so to speak. Now they can, they can talk through some of those issues together and then buoy each other up so that all boats are rising with the tide.
1: Phenomenal. That sounds, sounds very interesting. So, so great. Well, uh, what we'll do is we can, we can end out here. So again, if somebody wants to connect uh, with you, best places, Joel speaks real Correct. That's right. Yes, it is. All right. All right, Joel. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. It's been an honor and a privilege. I appreciate you allowing me to be part of this. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of Errol Helps Entrepreneurs Increase Visibility, Credibility, and Profitability. If you enjoyed the conversation today and you find yourself wanting more, there is. These conversations are recorded live, in our closed Facebook community for entrepreneurs called LinkedIn Mastery. Head on over to Facebook for LinkedIn Mastery to find the extended clip of this recording, along with many other conversations and resources to help you in your entrepreneurial journey. Just be sure to replace the Y at the end of Mastery with three E's and join us at LinkedIn Mastery. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Mastery, where entrepreneurs go to network and learn how to attract their ideal clients via LinkedIn and broker powerful connections worldwide. Be sure to visit us at LinkedIn Mastery on Facebook. Be sure to replace the Y with three E's and join us at LinkedIn Mastery.